morning, everybody, and welcome. Would you please stand? Each, of the each verse of our first hymn begins with these words, Tell out my soul. It's very pertinent today as we continue to consider the impact of what Jesus says is the greatest commandment, the first and greatest commandment, to love the Lord our God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind and strength. So let's sing, Tell Out My Soul together. standing, I'll lead us in prayer. Lord, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you brought each one of us here this morning. As we gather in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, help us express our thanks and praise with our whole lives, with our whole hearts, with all of our soul. As we hear your word, as we sing of your glory, as we pray to you, and as we share in the Lord's Supper and seek to encourage each other. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, a very warm welcome again to each of you who've joined us here in the building and online. It's wonderful you're able to join us online, those of you who are not able to be here. Uh, welcome to St Matthew's, especially if you're a guest amongst us. We love having guests. 
Uh, my name is Andrew Graham. I'm one of the ministers here, and we're very glad you've come to join us. And we pray that your time with us will be both enjoyable and that you'll find it very profitable as well. We're continuing, as I, as I mentioned at the beginning, our series today, All Our Heart, All Our Heart, uh, reflecting what Jesus said when he was asked about the greatest commandment. And today we're probing what it means to love God with our whole soul. And as Nathan speaks on that, he'll be particularly focusing on the place of prayer in godly habits and the value of solitude and of silence as we seek to love the Lord our God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind and all our strength. That's something to look forward to a little later this morning. I do want to say congratulations on the very quick uptake on our new tech. Uh, it's been great to get back to name tags. I know uh, many of you have been keen for us to do that. It's such a help to our fellowship. Um, I know some of you have been very quick adopters of the technology, just came straight in, tapped your number in, and out, out popped the, um, the name tag. If you find all that a bit intimidating, our welcomers are very happy to help you. Uh, with that, but um, well done on such a, a rapid uptake of new technology. Now, in a moment, we're going to be reading a beautiful psalm of thanksgiving, uh, which again features us calling on our own souls to remember God's goodness. Uh, but just before that, I have some, some news I, I wasn't expecting to be sharing this morning. In fact, two pieces of news, both of them sad and glad at the same time. So I heard soon after I arrived from Anthony, who's on our sound desk, that his father-in-law, Arnold Gorrell, uh, died during the week. Uh, Arnold ha has been a long-term member uh, of St Matthew's here. And in the end, as a, as a man well into his 90s, did you say 93 or 94, Anthony? 93. Uh, Arnold is a man, has been a man of faith and we're sad that he's no longer with us and especially no longer with uh, Yvonne and the family, uh, but so glad that he's gone to be with the Lord. Uh, the other piece of news I, I received is even uh, fresher in that uh, Gloria let me know that overnight our dear sister Frida Brown also went to be with the Lord. Uh, that was a shock to me uh, and I'm still coming to terms uh, with that. Uh, Frida, who together with Clive had been members of our congregation here for many, many years. Uh, I don't have many details uh, yet about the exact circumstances, uh, but what was the birthday that we'd celebrated of Frida's recently? It was a 90-something, wasn't it? It was 90, around 90, yes. Um, no, no details yet as to a, a funeral and uh, so on, but. Uh, later in the service, as Rhonda leads us in prayer, she'll be praying, giving thanks for the life and salvation both of Arnold and of Frida. Right now, can we turn our attention to God himself as we read together a psalm which is very familiar to us. Every month or so, we recite these excerpts from the beautiful Psalm 103. Shall we, shall we say this together? Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. 
He will not always accuse, nor will he harbour his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, all his work everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. Amen. We're now going to catch up with news from St Matthew's with the video news and then Rhonda will lead us in prayer. Welcome to church today. Just two things from me. There are lots of ways for you to contact either the pastoral staff or the office. There's a form on our website. You can email or call us. But on a Sunday, the best way to get in touch is by scanning the online connection cards under the seat in front of you. These are particularly helpful if it's your first time with us today. We'd love to know that you've joined us, especially if there is anything that we can do to help. By now, you might have noticed that I'm wearing a name tag. We're now offering these across all four of our services and we would love to encourage you to grab one on your way in each week. We want our church to be a place where we get to know each other and name tags will help us to do that. And they also help us to communicate that we want to be known. And that's important too, especially when it comes to making this a welcoming place for new people and visitors. Most of you will have had a chance to try it already and it is very simple. All it needs is you putting your phone number into the iPad station, hit the check-in button and you're good to go. But if you're new or visiting and you're not yet in the system or if your details need updating, find the member of the welcoming team with the roaming iPad and they'll sort you out. Lastly, for anyone with little ones, Jamie Post, our kids minister, would love you to get one of these name tags for them in here as well. And once we get used to it, we'll be checking in all the kids at the front of the church as you come in. But while we're still getting the hang of it, just give it a go and we'll be continuing to sign them into Kids Church partway through our service. That's it from me today. Enjoy the rest of the service. Good morning, I'm Rhonda and I'm going to be praying for us today. I'm going to open with a prayer uh, from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So will you pray with me? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Father, we pray for those who are in distress, that they would find peace. We pray particularly for those people in Turkey and Syria, that they would find comfort for those who grieve. We pray for those who have lost their homes, 
that they would find warm and dry shelter and receive what they need. We pray for Christians to shine in their love and generosity and care, bringing the message of the gospel as they go. We pray for the children, especially those who have lost parents and siblings, that they would find safety, protection, appropriate care and counselling. Father, it saddens us that these things happen, but we know that you are over all and in all and that you love mankind. Father, we pray for the World Pride event that's happening now. We pray for those churches that would have particular opportunities to minister the gospel to the World Pride visitors or Sydney-siders who are taking part in the World Pride activities. In particular, we pray for those churches near the root of the Mardi Gras and the outer inner city churches. We thank you that all people are made in your image and that they are precious to you. We pray for all people will be treated with dignity and respect and not be targeted in, in demeaning and violent ways. We pray for all involved to in some way encounter the grace and glory of Jesus, that they will recognise it and that they will turn from self-rule and entrust themselves to the God who really loves them and who's able to forgive sin and provide new life in the power of the Spirit. Father, we pray for the New South Wales Surf Life Saving Championships that are happening February the 17th to March the 5th at Northstone, Queenscliff and Freshwater Beaches. We pray for a safe carnival for competitors and for those who are travelling. We pray for our chaplains especially Ken Buckley, who's a chaplain at Manly, Rich Wendon, who's a chaplain at Queenscliff, Mark Gilbert and Andrea Bone, who are at Freshwater. We pray that they be helpful in any situation that they are asked to help with. We pray that you'll give them opportunities to share Jesus' love and to speak their Jesus' words with competitors, officials and the public. Father, we thank you for the Alpha course that started up on Tuesday. We pray for the 25 guests and more coming. Uh, we pray for really good discussion around the table, for openness, to be able to speak about the things, the real core issues of life. We pray that your gospel message might be proclaimed clearly and that you might open the eyes so that, so that, the, so that people might respond to you and know the peace and, and salvation of being in relationship with you. Father, we pray for our 8am congregation. We pray for those who have been regular members but are no longer able to come because they're of frailty, because they're in full-time residential care or at home. We pray for Theodora Smith, Robert and Ruth Ross, Liz Gillum, Norma Odlum, Jen and Russ Maddox, Eddie South, Pauline Hardy, Ian and Jeannie Johnson. We thank you for the care that they receive from loving families and others that care for them. In their difficulty and isolation, would you be their ever-present comfort, guidance and strength? Father, we pray too for Narelle Kirby, that her operation on her back will ease her pain. We pray that she will have peace that she will cling to her faith and that you might restore her body. 
Father, this morning, we'd like to give thanks for the, the life of Arnold Gorrell and Frida Brown. We thank you for the faith that they had and that the victory is won and that they are now with you. We pray for Arnold's wife, Yvonne, and the family, and for Frida's family, for Jessica and the family, as they grieve the loss, that they might be comforted, they might be reassured of your presence and your love and of the hope that they had. Father, we do praise you too for your creation, for the rain and the storms, the green grass and the trees and the birds that bring us so much peace and joy. Lord, you love us with an everlasting love. May we in response turn our hearts and souls to you and glorify you in all that we do and say this week. Amen. Please stand as we sing our collection hymn, uh, after which we'll be hearing from the scriptures as David reads for us. Please stand as we sing, Be Still My Soul.
Good morning. The Bible reading is from Mark chapter 1, verses 29 to 39. And that's on page 1002 in the Church Bibles. 1002 in the Church Bibles. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak, because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning all. Let's pray as we begin our time together in God's Word. Almighty Lord, we thank you that you are ever-present with us. May we be people who are ever-present to you, especially now as we meditate on your Word together. Amen. Amen. Uh, just over 12 months ago, I think I came to what was probably the lowest point that I'd ever faced across the 12 years I'd been in ministry. It was uh, December 2021. The lockdowns had finally lifted. I'm sure you can remember those months. The immediate pressure of, of kind of pulling off online church had finally passed. Praise the Lord. That was a big relief for me at one level. But as things started to return to normal, thoughts shifted to the what next? You know, what now? And uh, that kind of paralyzed me, actually. Instead of uh, excitement at kicking things off again, there was a mix of fear and doubt and, and most of all, actually, ex exhaustion. And, and not just physical exhaustion, but actually it was an emotional and a spiritual exhaustion. I remember staring down the barrel at the start of the new year and thinking... I don't think I can do this. I never got to the point of actually saying that to Bruce, 
but uh, I don't know what he would have said. I said it to my wife one day, though, as we were walking um, along Shelley Beach, um, and I remember turning to her and saying, I'm not doing so good. I'm not doing so good. And uh, those were very rare words to be coming out of my mouth. Uh, and yet Belle wasn't at all surprised. She said, yeah, I've noticed. I've noticed. And, and then in what I can only describe as, as a God moment, for the both of us, she said something to me that she'd never said before. And the moment she did, it started me down a path that would change the course of my next 14 months. Now, I will share with you what it is she said to me. We'll come back to it. But looking at that point in my life, I can now see that something had been amiss with my soul. Amiss with my soul. There'd, be, there'd been a malfunction at the, at the cellular level. If you can let me invent a word this early in the morning. Now, if you missed the first two weeks in our series, uh, it'd be worth actually tracking that down and, and catching them up because they, they really are... They form the foundation for everything else that we're going to be talking about this term. Um, in the first week, we looked at love, if you remember that, if you're with us, and why loving God really is so fundamental. And last week, we explored the heart, the power of our habits to form our deepest desires. So if you missed either of those two messages, we do podcast the audio from the sermon each week or you can head to our YouTube channel and find the video. But when Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your soul, what's he talking about? What's he referring to? Like, what even is the soul? Now, that's a fairly thorny philosophical question that people have been grappling with for thousands of years. But one of the difficulties in trying to define the soul is the fact that the Bible actually uses the word in lots of different ways. Lots of different ways. The Hebrew word for soul, nefesh, which literally means breath, it gets used over 750 times in just the Old Testament. It can simply refer to life, or more broadly, to all of life, or more narrowly, just to talk about the passions and uh, the emotions. But because of its connection to breath, nefesh is actually the word that's used at the very start in Genesis when God breathed life into Adam. That's the word that's used. Because of its connection to breath, soul is most commonly used interchangeably with spirit. So for today, we're going to be talking about the soul as the inner part, the hidden inner part of you, which is distinct from your physical body. It's the deep part of the self, as one commentator put it, the deep part of the self. When you think about it, we, we tend to pay a fair amount of attention to our bodies, don't we? We get hungry, so we eat. We get thirsty, so we drink. We get tired, so we sleep. We get sick, so we see a doctor. We worry about what it is we might wear today. And we, we, we stand in front of the mirror and wonder whether, you know, our hair could do with a cut. Believe it or not, that is still a concern of mine. 
It seems like we pay plenty of attention to our bodies, but not so much to our souls. It's interesting, isn't it? To our inner selves. How much attention do you really give to what's going on underneath the surface? And I think part of that is, is just because it's less obvious, right? It's less obvious. There, there's no mirror for our souls, and, and that part of us kind of remains hidden to the world. People can't tell. And, and not just the world, but it's actually often hidden from ourselves as well. And maybe not so much hidden, but rather it just kind of gets drowned out. Drowned out. See, the, pl- the plain truth of it is this. We live in a noisy world, don't we? It's noisy. Whether that's the noise of work, the relentlessness of people's demands and expectations and pressures places where we work or where we volunteer, they're they're noisy places and so too are our homes, aren't they? Always things to get done, to fix or to clean or to rearrange and add to that my three boys (laughs) at home, the noise kind of grows exponentially. Two of them are still learning that there's such a thing as an indoor voice. (laughs) They're learning slowly. And then I've got this fourth child who sits neatly in my pocket. And and this kid seems to be the loudest of them all. All day it's kind of calling out to me, demanding to be checked on. Work, home, friends, family, news, media, telemarketers, YouTube, socials, advertising, streaming services, smartphones. That's a lot of noise isn't it? A lot of noise. We're living in a cacophony. And get this, all of that is just on the outside. On the outside. If you were to take one of those decibel meters that reads volume and put put it in my head somehow, you would discover that there's just as much noise going on in here as there is out there. Racing thoughts, second-guessing my decisions, over-analyzing those tricky conversations I might have had that week, trying to, to predict what someone's response might be to something, questioning other people's behaviors and motivations. And then there's this sort of ambient anxiety sometimes. I don't even know where it's coming from. And most of it is just being fueled by really the, the worries and the fears of a fragile ego. <laughs> Is that just me, or does that resonate with you? That is a lot of noise, right? Inside and outside. And, and some of it is unavoidable, right? It's just the product of, of living in a noisy world, but plenty of it is self-inflicted. And the truth is, when the volume gets too high, when the noise of the world and the noise in our heads it can very easily drown out the one thing that matters the most. Remember how Jesus put it? Love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your inner being, in other words. I read an interesting quote this week by a New York Times journalist who was reflecting on the impact of our digital world, and he said this, said, the reason we live in a culture increasingly without faith 
is not because science has somehow disproved the unprovable, but because the white noise of secularism has removed the very stillness in which it might endure or be reborn. White noise, distraction. It's so interesting because it doesn't feel like that should be much of a threat, and yet it is. And not just for the unbeliever, but for the believer as well. John Ortberg, a pastor in the US, he puts it like this. He said, for many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It's that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. You see, noise... When it's, when it's left unchecked, it can end up drowning out your soul. It stunts our inner selves. It, it distracts us from what's really happening underneath the surface, at the cellular level, the deepest part of ourselves. I wonder, do you know what's going on down there for you? might surprise you to learn this isn't just a modern problem. I mean, smartphones, the internet, they certainly haven't helped things. But, but even Jesus had to wrestle with distraction and noise. In the passage that we read together, I hope you've still got open in front of you. We're going to have a look at it now together. But that is precisely the threat we see Jesus is facing in these verses. Just to give you a little context, uh, this is at the start of his ministry Things are finally now taking off. His reputation is growing. So much so that he rolls into a town, does one healing miracle, and then that night the house he's staying at gets swamped by every sick man and his dog. Verse 33, take a look. It says, The whole town gathered at the door. And at one level, that seems like a great outcome, right? Like exactly what Jesus must have been after. And yet, instead of popping the champagne and celebrating, we're told there in verse 35, read with me, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. He's not celebrating. He's seeking the Lord. And when he returns, we can see there that he tells his disciples, actually, they need to pack up and leave. Disciples would have been like, are you kidding? Everyone's looking for you. Isn't this what you wanted? But it's not. You see, being a traveling physician would have been great, but it wasn't, what, why, it wasn't why Jesus had come. He'd come to preach. He'd come to announce the coming of the kingdom, to call people to turn repentance and faith and be ready. And so the heaving crowds that turned up on the doorstep that night chasing a miracle, that actually, they'd become a distraction from that mission. See, even Jesus faced the danger of distraction. And, and what's the solution? He withdrew from the noise in order to draw near to God. He turned the volume down on the world so he could turn the volume up on his soul 
He sought intimacy with his father through the spiritual practices of silence, solitude, and prayer. Interesting. And here at the start of Mark's gospel, this isn't just a one-off. In fact, Jesus had a regular pattern of doing this very thing with his disciples throughout his ministry. In fact, there's nine times in Luke's gospel where it records Jesus withdrawing to a quiet, solitary place. And oftentimes it actually coincided with real pivotal points in his ministry. Like immediately following his baptism at the very beginning, what does he do? Goes off into the desert for 40 days. Or when a crowd forcibly tries to make him king, he goes up a mountain. And then the night when he's facing the prospect of his impending crucifixion, he spends the hours before his death, the very last hours of his life, what's he doing? He's in the stillness of Gethsemane. Why? Well, he says why. He says, because my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. In other words, he needed time alone with his father in order to tend to his soul, in order to stay on mission. Friends, think about that for a moment. If even Jesus found himself endangered by distraction, how much more must that, must that be the case for us? And you know, in a very real sense, Distractions may not simply be an incidental byproduct of a busy world, but actually they can become weapons, weapons for the evil one. Richard Foster, writing on this stuff back in the 70s, he famously put it like this. He said, our adversary, the devil, majors in three things, noise, hurry, and crowds. Noise, hurry, and crowds. If he can keep us involved in muchness and manyness, he will rest satisfied. Muchness and manyness. In the case of our passage today, like, wouldn't that just be right up Satan's alley, trying to use something good, healing the sick, in order to derail and distract Jesus from the something greater? preaching the kingdom. And you know, that's also true for us as well, because a lot of the noise that we're going to be dealing with, whether it's work or family or friends or whatever, they're good things, right? They're worthy of our attention, they're worthy of our effort, and yet not at the expense of the greater thing, our love for God. Take a moment to honestly ask yourself right now, how loud is my life? How loud is my life? How much noise and distraction has there been lately? What are the noises, inside and out, that have been pulling my attention away from the one thing that matters the most, my love of God? You know, another way of asking that question is, how loud is God in my life? Have you got his volume up? Or is it being drowned out by all the other noise? 
drowned out. That's a pretty good way to describe the state of my soul as I was walking along Shelley Beach those 14 months ago. I'm not doing so good, I said to Belle. Yeah, I've noticed, she replied. I think you need to get away for a few days. As I said before, that had to be a God thing because she had never made a suggestion like that to me, nor had I ever really entertained the thought of doing something like that, and yet the moment she said it, I immediately knew that was exactly what I needed to do. I'd allowed myself to become profoundly distracted. Most of it was my own swirling thoughts and fears, processing what had happened through the pandemic and doubting my ability to really restart everything, meeting people's expectations, juggling all the different responsibilities, obsessing over, over muchness and manyness, and as a result, you know what had happened? It's quite simple, actually. My view of God had shrunk and my view of myself had ballooned. Which is not to say I was, I was being overconfident and proud, but I was, I was feeling and behaving like actually everything rested on my shoulders instead of His. That's what I was doing. And in all the noise and distraction of that season, I'd, I'd, I'd lost sight of God's bigness. And that was casting a long shadow over my soul. But praise be to God for my wife and her words and to Bruce who gave me the day off. The day off. I went and, and rented an Airbnb for two nights up in Bayview and I spent 36 hours in silence, solitude and prayer. There's nothing really mystical about it. I put my devices away, I turned the notifications off, I even went and covered up all the clocks in the room that I was staying in so I, I couldn't tell what the time was, I didn't worry about the time. I picked a book of the Bible to read through and a journal to write my thoughts in, I wrote some prayers down at the beginning and then I prayed through those prayers a bunch of different times across the two days. I went on walks by the water and tried memorizing some scripture. And I spent time in silence, being present to the moment, not thinking about anything else, but just meditating on the truth of who God was and who I am in Him. And none of it was scheduled or, or really even planned. There was no to-do list, no agenda to work through. I just had these things to try doing, and I just went from one to the other, to the other, to the other, just spent that time being. That's what I was doing. I was just being. Being alone with God. And it was, it was wonderful. It was, it was magnificent. In fact, it was the most spiritually rich time I think I've ever had with God. Which is kind of funny when you think about it because of the point that I'd been, right? The lowest point in my ministry, I went from that to this time of spiritual richness and it was this complete contrast. That's often how God works though, isn't it? The path to his table of plenty often runs through the darkest of valleys. 
That was certainly the case for me in that season. You talk to Belle or to Bruce, uh, and they'll tell you just how, how different I was coming back, the difference that those two days made to my soul. It prompted me to, to go and get some much-needed counselling, found myself a ministry coach. I began working uh, in some new practices to my daily habits. But most of all, most importantly, I think, I actually came back excited about restarting the ministry. My worries and fears that had been paralyzing me had actually been replaced by, by a renewed trust in God's sovereignty because I'd encountered God's bigness again. At one point in the retreat, I remember suddenly realizing, wow, God is not worried about what's happened and he's not worried about what's ahead. So why am I? He knows what he's doing. That's a very simple truth to realize, right? But it actually took me withdrawing from all the noise to let my soul soak it up again. You know, it's not all or nothing. You might not be in a place where you can get away like I did. But wouldn't it be amazing if, as the body of Christ we were able to help remove some of those barriers for people. So like those who own holiday homes, making them available for those who don't, that'd be radical, wouldn't it? Or, or if you're married, encouraging your spouse to go and do that, even though that might make life busier for you. I actually returned the favor to Belle six months later and I sent her on a two-day retreat. And that's something we're going to try to do every six months for one another. And even if you don't retreat, we should all actually just be pursuing pockets of silence, solitude and prayer in our daily lives, shouldn't we? For instance, I've found uh, writing down my prayers to be a, a helpful practice. If you've never done that before, that'd be worth trying because it actually just helps me to dwell on what it is I'm praying and focus my thinking, and, and, and I can then come back later and see what I've written down and just praise God at the way he's been at work in my prayers. But I reckon it's worth taking an honest look at our, our prayer lives, what shape, it, what shape they're in. Like I said earlier, that there, there isn't a mirror for the soul, and yet how you pray when you're alone... That's about as close to a mirror for the soul as it gets. Tim Keller writes this. He says, The infallible test of spiritual integrity, Jesus says, is your private prayer life. Many people will pray when they're required by cultural or social expectations or perhaps by the anxiety caused by trouble circumstances. Those with a genuinely lived relationship with God as Father, however, will inwardly want to pray and therefore will pray even though nothing on the outside is pressing them to do so. I love that. How is your prayer life? You could try designating a room or corner in your home as the, the solitude spot. I've got a spot actually down by the water at the wharf. That's kind of my solitude spot. 
and you know you make it like an, a no-tech zone. And everyone in the house knows that's actually the place to go when you want to be alone with God. Well, I've gotten into the habit of, of sitting silently for a few minutes before I read my Bible each day. I've actually written the top of each page in my journal in capital letters, silence, so I don't forget. And it, it's a small thing, but, you know, just a minute or two of silence allows my thoughts to slow down, my body to relax, and it reminds my soul that I'm, I'm not just ticking off a box here. I, I'm actually drawing near to someone. Before we finish, I actually wanted to give us a chance to be silent together now for a few minutes. Take it as an opportunity to put your phones away if you've got them out, close your Bibles, clear your mind. You could close your eyes, center your focus on who God is who you are in him and what he has been impressing on your heart this morning. How loud is your life? What state is your soul in? Let's be silent now, see how it feels and uh, I'll be back in a minute or two. Psalm 46 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. May it be so, Lord. I wonder how that felt for you. Was it a bit strange? Did it feel like it was long? It was literally just two minutes. Which I think tells you just how foreign silence really is these days. 
Friends, as I said in our first week together, the Christian life isn't a list of rituals to perform. It's not a hobby to hone or a club to join. It's a relationship. I remember hearing a preacher say something that's stuck with me ever since. He said, you know what? I'm not a natural evangelist. I don't like evangelism very much, but I love Jesus. So I can't help but talk about him to others. And I'm not a fan of reading find it kind of boring, but I read the Bible because I love Jesus, so I want to listen to Him. And I don't like prayer, I'm not much of a praying person, but I love Jesus, so I speak to Him. Friends, we don't set aside time for God in our busy schedules out of duty, out of guilt, out of fear. We don't do it because it's on our to-do list. We don't do it because some guy up the front here told you to. We do it because we're in a relationship. And when we withdraw from the noise, whether that's for just 10 minutes or an hour or a couple of days, when we come to him in the stillness, we get him. We get him. Friends, if you love him, what more could you want than that? Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you are ever present with us. We confess, Lord, that too often we are not present to you. We pray that we might be those who resist the noise and distraction of the world and tend to our souls as we draw near to you. Help us to work out how to do that best wherever we are at right now in our lives and in our souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Friends, we're going to sing our final song, Praise My Soul, the King of Heaven. Let's stand and sing.
Please be seated. We're now going to share together in the Lord's Supper. If you didn't receive a communion pack as you came in, just raise your hand. Chris has got a basket full of them there. And if you've already got one, you might like to begin to prepare by taking the seals off the top while I get myself organised at the front here. I don't know about you, but I found this morning quite a, a moving service. Uh, coming to terms with the loss of two loved ones here at uh, the 8 o'clock service, uh, considering the way in which they faithfully followed the Lord and the way in which they are now in a far better place. They're now with the Lord. Um, as we've been considering the Lord Jesus and all that filled his life while he was with us as a human being, uh, so that it was important for him to withdraw and pray. Uh, we've been thinking about matters of the heart and of the soul this morning. And so I'm actually looking forward to sharing together with you this morning in the Lord's Supper, which is the place where we find the ultimate consolation. Uh, it's as we consider the death of Jesus and his resurrection and his exaltation that we find solace in the face of life's challenges, in the midst of the noise. Uh, th this is where we get our motivation to love the Lord with all our hearts and all our minds and all our soul and all our strength. So friends, this is just a simple ceremonial meal that we share in uh, these days, but the little bit of bread and the cup can take us right back there to that moment where Jesus was preparing his disciples for his coming death. It was going to be the next day. Here's how the scriptures describe it. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from this, all of you. This is my body, which is given for you. Take and eat, remembering me. And then in the same way after the meal, Jesus took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from this all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So in a moment, we're going to share together in the cup and in the bread but as we prepare to do that, it's, it's right that we remember our part in the death of Christ, as we remember our sin, as we confess our sin. Uh, it says in 1 John chapter 1, that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So please join me in this prayer of confession. Heavenly Father, you have loved us with an everlasting love but we have often gone our own way and rejected your will for our lives. We are sorry for our sins and turn away from them. For the sake of your Son who died for us, forgive us, cleanse us and change us. 
by your Holy Spirit, enable us to live for you and to please you in every way for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The scriptures, again in 1 John chapter 2, reassure us of our forgiveness in Christ. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. I'll lead us in a further prayer. We thank you, our Father, that in your love and mercy, you gave your only Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our salvation. By this offering of himself once and for all time, Jesus made a full, perfect and sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. Hear us, merciful Father, and grant that we who receive these gifts of your creation, this bread and this wine, according to our Saviour's command, in remembrance of his suffering and death, may spiritually be partakers of his body and blood. So brothers and sisters, let's take this bread and as we eat, let's feed on Christ in our hearts by faith with thanksgiving. And friends, let's drink from these cups in remembrance that Christ's blood was shed for us and be thankful. Let's pray together this prayer of thanksgiving and dedication to the Lord. Father of all, we give you thanks and praise that when we were still far off, you met us in your Son and brought us home. Dying and living, he declared your love, gave us grace and opened the gate of glory. May we who share Christ's body live his risen life. We who drink his cup bring life to others. We whom the Spirit lights give light to the world. Keep us in this hope that we have grasped, so we and all your children shall be free, and the whole earth live to praise your name. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, that all but brings our service to a close. There's just a couple of things I'd like to note uh, with you, and then we'll say the grace together. Before we head out for morning tea across the, the courtyard and in the function room, for our guests, we'd love you to come and join us for a tea or a coffee and a biscuit. Uh, Rhonda and I are going to be away on holidays for most of the next three weeks in Tasmania and in Gerringong. Um, one of the things that means is that we're going to be missing uh, the farewell for Scott and Caroline in a couple of weeks. So I'm going to take the, the opportunity, while I've got a microphone in front of me, uh, just to say um, how thankful Rhonda and I have been for the privilege of having another season of working together with Scott and Caroline. Um, we, we had worked together for 12 years in St Ives and uh, so it was a pleasure to come and join Scott and the team here uh, four years ago. And um, as, the, as the pastor really of this congregation, I'd like to say in front of you and in front of Scott, how thankful for, 
I am for the way that God has used him amongst us here, uh, using his uh, obvious gifts of teaching and of leadership. Uh, we've benefited so much from his prodigious uh, work ethic. And it's been another season where I've seen him growing in grace and in kindness in so many ways that so many of you won't have seen, but I have observed this last few years and it's been just terrific. And that's not to mention his sharp wit and his cheeky sense of humour, uh, which are a great addition to, have been a great addition to our life together. Uh, Rhonda and I, uh, Scott, will be praying for you and Carolyn that uh, your move to St Mark's Northbridge is mutually beneficial for you and the family and for the church family at St Mark's as you seek to serve the Lord together there in the great mission of making disciples of Jesus in that local community over there in um, Northbridge as well as well beyond. Uh, if there are pastoral issues that come up uh, in my absence, I'm here till Tuesday. Uh, but after that, Scott is actually around for a couple of weeks. Uh, Bruce is back later in the week and Deborah Benstead uh, will be around for the whole of the time that we're away. Okay, shall we stand? And shall we entrust one another to God's care in the words of the grace? May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen.